Sarah, you are a middle school teacher who uses SVG or standards-based grading in your classroom. Yes. So, and a New York City teacher to boot. Yeah, I've been teaching four years um, as a sixth grade ELA teacher. Um, my primary license is in TESOL, so I do a lot of customization too with the goals of multilingual language learners in mind. So, I mean, as a heads up, I'm gonna tell you that some of the advice I might offer definitely delves into the realm of creativity too because a lot of times I am a supporter of standards-based grading but I like to look at it through the lens of how are the kids best going to showcase that they've achieved these standards. Nice so that's actually definitely one of the questions I want to ask today. So the first thing I'd like to start with if you could just share what do you know now after four years of teaching or however many years you're doing SBG that you wish you knew at the beginning? So I'm going to start off with this with a little bit of like a rebellious thought. I think that when I first came in, you would see the list of, well, at the time that I came in, we were in the Common Core State Standards. Now we're looking a lot more into the next generation learning standard. I think that NGLS is actually a little bit more of a workable standard format. But I know when I was a new teacher, I would be, you know, being honest, lesson planning the night before, which that's a first tip. Make sure that you kind of plan as much in advance as you can with unit plans. But I would be staring at these standards and I felt very restricted by those standards where you look at the standard and you say, oh, my gosh, this is something that's my target. And you kind of like as a new teacher, I would build off of that standard. So that would be what's at the forefront. And then I'd say, ah, how am I going to achieve this? Whereas now through my craft, I feel like you end up kind of thinking more about what are the students going to produce? And then you kind of do this like rewind and you think of, okay, this is what I know the end target is going to be. What are we going to use? How are you going to, going to kind of build a story through these standards to get them to this point? That's such a great thing. You use this, the phrase build a story and you momentarily got kidnapped by aliens there. <laughs> So it's so interesting to hear you say that it's about building a story to collect evidence to show that the student has has uh, demonstrated competency on this standard. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think another thing that weaves into this is definitely being a reflective teacher is another component of really making sure that you're hitting these standards. So a lot of times when you're running with a lesson, you might be really excited about a new idea. And when you try it out, it might just be one of those lessons that goes over the kids' heads and you're staring there and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a new teacher. I'm like vibrant with this. I know what I want to do, but like, it's so clear that they're not getting it. And you kind of have that like freezing moment because you're like on stage when you're kind of, I think of the lesson kind of performing the story, right? And the kids will be like, we're not the audience for this. What are you doing? And it's really important in that moment, like even if you have three minutes before, between classes to take like a quick post-it note and be like, this is the moment where I know something went wrong and how can I kind of play around with it again? It makes good sense. When it comes to the standards that you are, that you move your students towards, do you pick those yourself? Would you do as a department? Do you do as a school? How do you decide what standards your students are accountable to? So um, one thing that really connects to this right now um, I'm sure across all of New York City schools, we know that the current push is for CRSE. So this really ties into what we're talking about with this idea of planning, because we've started some of these subcommittees where we're going back into both our curriculum maps and also our unit plans. So we have a curriculum map that will chart across all of the different months in kind of chunks by, um, we work in a four quarter semester and we will 
kind of break it down to what sort of text structures are we working on? Is it informational? Is it narrative? And then we say, okay, so what are the target standards for this chunk of the unit? And how can we pace this out with a, like a unit plan pacing calendar? So when we look at a chart, which I mean, I could maybe provide you with something later, we um, have the text, we will have the maybe two or three units that you're really honing in on for the week. And we have kind of the informal and formal assessment that's going to prove in a way whether or not the kids are approaching mastery with that. So I could give an example right now of something that we're working on. So we, over the past year, updated our curriculum to include the novel Counting by Sevens by Holly Goldberg Sloan. Not sure if you're familiar with this premise, but basically there's a girl who loses her parents in a kind of horrific car crash, and it's all about how she finds herself back into the person who she was before she lost her parents. So there's a lot of themes going on with this. So the story was a success with kids kind of making text-to-self connections, but then we were starting to think about what are the standards that we're really gonna focus on next year. So one that I have in mind as I'm glancing at um, my map to help me out right now, we're thinking about something like 6R2, determine a theme or central idea of a text and how it's developed by supporting details over the course of a text. So it's not just a lot of times when we think about like those short responses where you give a range of pages and they're providing evidence from that little structure, we want to think now that little bit of broadness, right? Over the course of a text, you're working with a novel. So this is where I like to think about standard-based grading in terms of alternative assessment and how we're going to create a production across time, right? So with a novel like this, as we're thinking about not only the standards, but also this new goal of CRSE, which we know is the hot topic for the coming years. And I mean, I think a great thing. What I'm pushing for with my colleagues is we're developing kind of a workable rubric that's going to involve the, the students creating character suitcases. So it's going to be kind of the suitcase of baggage that the character kind of has across time. And we're going to phrase it kind of in what is the character going to reveal about herself across time? And what are the different like symbols that help develop that main message that she's trying to share with the other characters? So in a way, you have that creative element. You have the kids that are going to be excited to be making something. We're going to have a physical representation of it. But then you're going to hone into all those different modalities, right? We can work with listening to hear when someone presents. They can present through the speaking. And we can kind of write little, almost like taglines that go along with the different elements in that structure. I'm really excited about that idea. I hope I didn't wax on too much. No, I really appreciate how you explained it and how you laid out not only your thinking about the standards, but how you're going to get your students there. So the next kind of question I wanted to ask you about is you go through this great project, the kids create their suitcase. You said, all right, these students, I can see how close you are to the standard. How do you communicate that to parents in a way that works for them? Okay, so one of my best friends is definitely the Class Dojo app. And um, if someone's ever used a tech app like this, we have kind of the way to post whole class stories or there's almost mini student portfolios. So a lot of times, whether it's the parents asking for or if I want to create like a slideshow so showcase, I could kind of group parents into smaller groups and kind of give them that lean into to see where the kids are at with this project. And um, a lot of what we do, too, are um, we call it cycles of celebration in my school. So it's not necessarily always that like the parents of guardians can, of course, attend those. 
but um, we kind of do these like every so often kind of celebrations in the classroom that are followed up with like a newsletter that kind of breaks it down to the parents. So I usually give them a forecast of the week ahead, which will include not necessarily the standards themselves, but the targets of where our learning is going and then how the students should be able to kind of demonstrate that. So I do think it's important to keep the guardians in the know of what's going on. And I know that another part of this, when we think about things that I wish I knew earlier, it really comes down to that collaboration too, right? So even if you're thinking it's not even just in your department, like you will be excited to work, you know, with the other ELA teachers on an ELA task, but Sometimes it's knowing if you have a class that has those five core teachers, if you can find even 15 minutes a week for like a, so what's up in your class to kind of talk about those students, where they're at, what I should be noticing as trends across, that collaboration is key too in kind of building that um, multiple perspective viewpoint of your students. So it's not just your lens, it's the lens of what everyone sees across and how we know that the student is achieving their best level with these standards. Nice. Gotcha. So do students get a one cumulative grade? Like, can a student say, I'm an A in English class, or is everything remain broken out by individual standards? So what we're talking about for report card time? So we go across four quarters, and then we have that final quarter. And for each quarter, we usually have um, the report cards for New York City. I think it's citywide. We kind of have um, those brackets of like the target standard for the unit. So let's just say for like the informational unit, we might pick two main report card comments that we're going to give because unfortunately their codes are a little bit cut and dry. But I can say like student is approaching, meets, or exceeds the standards in this category. And then I might follow that up. I mean, my favorite one to use is the like encourage student to read more at home as part of the backup. But there are kind of some helpful codes like that too. But really, I mean, so yes, we get like those standards across in that mini report card comment. But I really think that that valuable like 20 minutes a day of parent engagement time that we get from the city is that important time to say, okay, these are three kids that I'm focused on for this week. I want to make sure that at some point I'm talking to Caleb's mom and uncle, whoever, before the end of the week to say, this is the goal that I have for them. And this is how we're going to kind of reach that point. Makes very good sense. So what I hear you saying is that the report cards aren't as important as the ongoing conversation. I think the ongoing conversations are more important. And another thing through my um, school is we have active portfolios all the time. So we have kind of a file folder that tracks the student across all of these different units. And let's just say a typical unit probably lasts somewhere between three to four months. So across those three to four months, I know that we're going to be putting in about three informal writing pieces and then probably we'll just say like two formal assessments and maybe a final like essay that we're going to use. And that kind of, again, with this story building, builds the story of how the student's progressing across time. Is that an actual physical file folder or is it online? So as of yet, um, my school is nice, but can be kind of archaic. So it is a physical file, but I definitely think, especially now after all of our adventures in remote learning, this could be something created through Google Drive too. So, I mean, I'm definitely willing to play around with this format. Um, But a key component of this is every three Fridays, we have kind of this reflection day. So it's like 
in a way the kids see it a little bit as like a three-day weekend to them because we're not really producing extra classwork but it's our big reflective day where students will we grade with our standards-based rubric but students will get their own copy where we have a blank space underneath that standard where the kids can kind of write in their own words what did the standard mean to you like what were we really looking for and then they kind of assess themselves by going back across that work. So every three weeks, we kind of like look at this, we get the students to reflect on this, and then I could, within that period, maybe pull five students of my choice to have some one-on-one -on -one quick conferring with them to say, what have you noticed about yourself? This is what I noticed about you. What are we going to change with the next unit? Very nice. And do you find the workload manageable or does it feel overwhelming at times? kind of a loaded question. <laughs> that is a loaded question. So I'm coming at you again with the perspective of an ELA teacher. So I will say that my most hated parts of any month is when essays are due, when we have number one, multiple drafts to check because we are still of the component of really liking the, the three draft essay, which, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, when I have a course load, I mean, it really depends on the size of your school. For me, I usually have about from 130 students to, I mean, this year I had 380, which again, totally different with the remote learning world. But I think what kind of makes it manageable is sometimes what I've learned, I guess I kind of have that inward panic where I'm like, ah, the students have spent like a week and a half producing this part of writing. So like, I want to give them all that valuable time. But the honest thing is, none of us really have the time in the day to go across 130 three-page essays, right? So I might hone in on maybe we're doing um, a persuasive essay where we have kind of one of those counter argument paragraphs where we've really been working on how do you develop that counter argument and swing it back to you. So that might be that main part of the essay that I'm really looking in on. Where do I see their mastery with that? And then I flip back quick to the introduction to say, all right, what was their overall thesis statement? Did they support this? Are they able to counteract that counterclaim? And then, you know, I mean, I'm really only getting that glimpse into the window, but if we keep up that informal assessment throughout the writing process where I'm checking in, doing that quick lean over, hey, where are you at? What do I notice with student peer rubrics? All of this stuff ends up painting that picture for you across time. So that makes it a little more manageable. And then if I know that there's a student or two where I say, well, I didn't really get that clear of a vision of what they did, or, you know, especially in the case of someone that didn't produce that much for that final task, then I say, okay, next unit, bam, you are my spotlight on you. That makes good point because you're, you're correlating how it's about multiple pieces of evidence, it's about telling a story, and it's about making sure that the student is getting better at the big ideas for your course, which is a really very, very neat way to think about it. it, it I get the sense that you like it. Is that fair to say? Um, for teaching in general or reflecting with the, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's definitely every component, right? But I mean, I think what's really interesting, again, to think about is, again, I'm, I'm always going to go back to that reflective format. Um, I am definitely one of those newer teachers still where some of my, you know, treading lightly, older colleagues will be like, don't reinvent, reinvent the wheel. Like if something works, like you keep it and whatnot. But like at the end of every unit, I'll look back and I'll say, okay, what were my five days where I know I shined that, you know, the kids just got it. They were engaged. What was happening there? 
And when I can think back to those three lessons where the kids really just weren't having it, I could say, what could I kind of steal back from that other lesson that did a similar standard, but the kids just really didn't connect as well that I can kind of reformulate. So in a way, I guess what I'm trying to get at, which is a whole other concept, but when we're thinking about something like Danielson, in a way, Danielson is our standards as teachers, right? Which, you know, again, kind of wheeling off, but I can kind of almost think for myself that's in a way kind of my own standard-based grading, right? So if I'm starting to think about how I reflect the standards for myself, that's kind of going to help me think about how am I going to need to approach those standards for my students. It's a very, that's a very, very helpful framework for thinking about that. So I think what you've really highlighted today is oh, some really, really useful information, and I'm confident this is going to be useful uh, for teachers. Sarah, I want to thank you very, very much for your time. And you said you were going to share a few documents, so I might follow up. I'm going to follow up and ask you to share those as well. Yeah, definitely. I can get you a peek into the unit plans to see kind of how we track across. Thank you so much. Thank you.